Last week we did look at the first eight verses there in, in, in John chapter 12. And we saw the Lord going back towards Jerusalem to not only celebrate Passover, but to eventually fulfill it. And to start off Passion Week, which we read so much about here in uh, the New Testament. And in the book of John, we're going to get into the weeks to come, Lord willing, into a whole lot of doctrine that was taught during that last week of the Lord here upon the earth. But as he was headed towards Jerusalem, he first went there to Bethany. I remember he went to Simon the leper's house, and Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Simon and others there were preparing a meal for the Lord. They were ministering to the Lord. And in the midst of that, remember Mary came with a costly pound of spikenard, and she used it to anoint the Lord's body. And she did that, again, knowing and being led by the Spirit that the Lord was going to go to the cross here very shortly, and he would be in the grave, and he would resurrect. And so she was doing that with a gospel purpose behind it. She was doing that, again, knowing that the Messiah of the world was about to fulfill Scripture, promised since the fall of man, that the Redeemer would come and die for our sins and be resurrected from the grave. And yet, unfortunately, as Mary was all about the gospel, we saw that Judas was all about another gospel. Judas was about which uh, today would be even called the, the social gospel, which is not the gospel at all. Remember, he criticized Mary and Jesus that that pound of spikenard should have been sold and given to the poor. And he was about temporary things. And remember, the Lord rebuked him and he defended her. And he said, the poor you're always going to have with you, but you won't always have me with you. And it wasn't the Lord discouraging us from ministering to the poor. We absolutely should. But listen, the greatest injustice would be if you minister to the poor, the rich, whoever, and you didn't share the gospel with them. And without the gospel, what hope do we have? We don't have any hope. And so we looked at that in great detail. And if you weren't with us, I'd encourage you to go back and, and to listen to that message online or grab a CD out there. This morning, we, we pick it up from here. And we see there again, as Jesus was there in Bethany, uh, we kind of see what's going on uh, outside. We see that the Jews were all the more plotting to kill Jesus. And we've seen that theme throughout the book of John. But now that Lazarus has been raised from the dead, they're, they're, they're saying it's really on now. Now we really got to go through and, and execute the Lord. Remember Caiaphas, the high priest, had prophesied that one would die for the nation. They just didn't understand why he would die for the nation. We'll see this morning that they were also plotting to kill Lazarus, who had been resurrected from the dead. And here he is, uh, you know, just a, a, an ordinary man, but listen, he was an ordinary man whom the Lord had touched and who the Lord was working in his life. And we'll consider the fact this morning that the Lord said, as they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. And if the Lord is your Savior, you've been touched by him, we're guaranteed that, but we're going to talk about that this morning and how we handle that. We'll also see this morning fulfilled prophecy as the Lord comes there to Jerusalem on, on what's been come to know Palm Sunday. And he comes lowly riding on uh, uh, the, the colt of a donkey. And in that, we'll talk about the Lord's humility. And we'll also talk about how the Lord will come the second time, but it won't be lowly on a donkey. It's going to become, he's going to come on a white horse to wage war against the nations. And then at the end of our uh, study this morning, we'll see the Lord talking about the fact that the hour of his glory had come. 
that it was, it was, again, that last hour, that last week, and eventually he would die on the cross, he would ro- rise from the grave, and he would do that so that through him, we would have the hope of the resurrection as well. And so we'll look at those things and, and have applications for us. So let's start this morning by just reading verse 9 through 15, and then we'll make, it, make our way down here, Lord willing, through verse 26, and hopefully leave here changed this morning. And and, and more like him and touched by him and knowing more of him. Amen? So let's start here in verse 9. It says, Now a great many of the Jews knew that Jesus was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet the Lord and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Verse 14, then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now notice here again, verse 9, and we got to remember that great multitudes already were coming to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Booths, it was required for every male Jew to go to Jerusalem and to celebrate and to keep those feasts. And most of the time, and a lot of the times, they would bring their whole family along, so a, a great number of people pouring into Jerusalem from from all directions and as they're pouring in word has gotten out that this Jesus has resurrected Lazarus from the grave and no doubt at this time listen the whole countryside has been abuzz with the works of the Lord and you see throughout the gospels and other places uh people knowing about this and so forth think about Paul you know when he talks about you know where have you been haven't you heard these things there there's phrases like that that listen this is common knowledge that it's spread far and wide so these people are pouring in to jerusalem and as they hear about jesus there's many that are wanting to come to where he's at and yet they're coming for many many different reasons listen there were some coming to see jesus and lazarus also because lazarus being resurrected was a sign Again, he was resurrected in the name of the Father, that Jesus was the Messiah. And there would be some that, again, through that sign, would come to a, to a place of faith in the Lord. Unfortunately, though, there were others and even more coming, not just to see Jesus, as it says here, but also to see Lazarus. And I believe they were coming just because they wanted to see something amazing. They wanted to see this man who had been dead and behind that stone for four days, they had heard about it, and now they want to go see this amazing thing that everyone had reported. But you know what? One thing about amazing things and seeing them, listen, they can get mundane really, really quickly. I mean, think about it. There's a sun up in the sky right now, and it is an amazing thing. It comes up every single morning, and it sets every single night. It absolutely brings energy to our world here that we need to function. Without it, listen, everything is going to die. 
and the heat, especially the last few days that it's throwing off, you know, it gets your attention. But when was the last time you really went out and said, wow, look at that. That is amazing. It's probably been a while. And indeed, it, it is amazing. It's there every day. But those things, again, can get mundane really quickly. But listen, there's another son, the S-O-N. His name is Jesus Christ. And when you really have, again, your eyes on him, he never becomes mundane. Listen, we are called to get our eyes upon him every single day. And there'll be amazing things along the way, and they're all fine and good. And we should thank the Lord for those things. But we don't want to get into a place where we're we just thirsting after amazing things. But instead, we're thirsting after the Lord. We are looking to him. Because what happens when we begin to just say, I need amazing things to fuel my life and my walk with the Lord, uh, it, it, it's, it's oftentimes it begins to become a work of us to try to one-up the last thing. God's going to do wonderful things. Listen, if you seek the Lord first, signs and wonders, they're going to follow. And that's awesome and good. But I have found in the trials and the tribulations and in the low parts of my life, Listen, the amazing things don't do anything for me. You know what does something for me? It's the Lord Jesus Christ because he's faithful every step along the way. And hopefully this morning we've gathered together here, first and foremost, seeking after the Lord and then knowing, listen, if the Lord wants to do something amazing as I've sought after him, wonderful. But if it's a mundane day, that's wonderful as well because my eyes are upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're encouraged again. Hebrews 12.1, one of many places where we get these types of encouragements. It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, notice here, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice here, looking unto Jesus and then amazing things. No, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So get your eyes on him today. And listen, if there are sins that easily ensnare you, bring them to him. And if there are weights and encumbrances that are holding you back, and I think sometimes it's easier to know of those sins that easily ensnare us than weights that hold us back. But sometimes we got to step back and even good things sometimes can become weights that are hindering us because we're dragging them versus letting the Lord carry those things along. Now, later on in this passage, we're going to see that amongst these coming to Passover, there were many Greeks, there were many Gentiles that weren't proselyted into Judaism yet, but they were worshipers of God. And we're going to see when they came, they said to Philip and Andrew, Sir, we want to see Jesus. They don't mention Lazarus at all. They came seeking him only. And again, we want to be found in that place because once again, we got to remember that he is enough. In First Peter and Second Peter, I mean, in chapter 1, 2, and 3, it says that we have all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, through knowing him, through knowing about him. And so let's get our eyes upon him. Now, verse 10, it says, but the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also because on account of him, many of the Jews went and believed in Jesus. And so listen, Lazarus, you know, he'd just been minding his own business. He got sick. 
his sisters call for Jesus to come and to, you know, minister to him. The Lord shows up uh, two, three days after Lazarus has passed. He's been dead now for four full days. And the Lord tells them to roll back that stone. They do it. He calls Lazarus forth. forth. Lazarus as a disciple of the Lord obeys and he comes out and he's alive. And again, everyone's marveling this work that the Lord's done in his life. Whether they want to acknowledge it was the Lord's hand or not, they're acknowledging at least something's been done. And he's just minding his own business. And the next thing you know, he's a marked man. They got a hit out on him. They're saying, not only do we want to kill Jesus, we want to kill that Lazarus. And maybe one of them said, but, but he didn't do anything. Doesn't matter because the Lord was doing something in his life. And that was enough. The Lord doing something in his life was enough for them to hate Lazarus as they hated Jesus. And it was enough to say, we want to kill him just as we want to kill Jesus. And it was enough for them to say, we want him out of our culture, out of our society. We want to wash this culture of him just like they wanted to wash their culture of Jesus Christ. And you need to know this morning, if he's your Lord, is he your Lord? Can you say amen to that? And as your Lord, he wants to do a work in your life every single day. And if you're desiring for that, especially if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, the Bible tells us that there's going to be a persecution that comes with that. Because that aroma that comes from your life through living for the Lord, listen, there's a remnant that's going to be an aroma of life. They're going to be drawn to hear about your Lord. But to many others, it's going to be aroma of death. And when there's aroma of death, what do you want to do? You want to get it out of the room. And that's the case for us. Jesus tells us later on in the Gospel of John, in John 15, 18, just so you know, I'm not making this up. It says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept, not, if they kept my word, they will keep yours. And so again, there's going to be a persecution if he's our Lord. And especially that's going to be there if you direct and lead folks to the Lord. Because again, verse 11 says, because on account of him and the him here is Lazarus, many of the Jews went Uh, went away and believed in Jesus. Again, a lot of that people coming out, they wanted to see something amazing. Others came because they wanted to see the confirmation that he had been raised in the name of the Father by the Messiah. And through that witness in Lazarus' life that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, many came to believe in him. And so it was all the more they wanted to get rid of him. If you're going to direct people to the Lord, you're going to be marked by the enemy. Listen, Satan doesn't worry too much about bench warmers. He kind of keeps an eye on them and, you know, watches the bleachers here and there. If someone starts to get up to say, I want to serve all, oh, you know what, let's, let's go after him. But if, if, if you're just sitting there in the bleachers, again, yeah, no doubt he loves to throw darts. But when you get up and you say, I want to go walk in the trench, then it's like there's an attitude change. It's on. And just as we want to get rid of Christ, we want to get rid of you. And listen, when that happens, we need not tremble. We need not run. We need not fear. 
Notice there's nowhere that it says that Lazarus began to shake in his boots because he was a marked man. Listen, he'd been touched by the Lord. The Lord was working mightily in his life and that birthed a faith in him that he needed not fear. We're told the same thing in the scriptures. Interesting, in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 21, Jesus is talking about those things that would increase in the last days before his second coming. And in verse 16 of Luke 21, he said, you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. It says, but in verse 18, but not a hair on your head shall be lost. So in other words, there's going to be an increasing amount of hatred towards followers of Christ in the last days. Some folks will even die for their faith. Guess what? This is happening right now. It's happening around the world. It's happening in our own nation. It's happening even in our own community. But this word here, but not a hair in your head shall be lost, is a word of assurance. You're in the hands of the Lord. Not only will you never be snatched from his hands, not even a hair on your head will be snatched from his hands. And for us balding, that's a rejoicing thing because... Listen, that hair is falling out, but it's not going to be lost by the Lord. And in glory, it's going to be restored. You know, it it, will be wonderful. In fact, if you lose it here, you get twice as much there on your head. And if you keep it here, then you lose half of that. No, I think it works out that way. So listen, we, we, we don't want to fear. And in fact, the scripture even speaks about learning to celebrate and embrace that persecution. And this is something we need to be doing. Again, they wanted to put Jesus to death and Lazarus because of the work the Lord was doing in Lazarus' life and had done in his life. And we see that's going to be the case for us. And oftentimes there's a dread that comes with that, right? Oh, no, I don't want that. I don't want to go through that. And it shouldn't be that we are in a place where we are, we are yearning for that. Oh, I just want to be persecuted for the Lord today. But listen, when it comes, the Bible does speak about rejoicing in it, that it's okay Now listen, not a hair in your head is going to be lost. The Lord's going to see you through. He's going to provide for you. And I just see a lot of believers worried about that. Worried about, listen, they'll say, if I live here, I'm going to be persecuted. But if I run all the way over here, I won't be persecuted. Listen, if you follow the Lord, it's going to come no matter where you are at. And one thing you can know is that no matter where you go, not a hair on your head will be lost. And no matter where you go, when that comes, we are called to, again, embrace it and even celebrate it. 2 Corinthians 12, 10, it says, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, he is strong. So Paul says, when I'm persecuted, I rejoice because I'm strong in the Lord. Why? Because there's a humbling that comes with that. And there is a stirring in our hearts to cry out to the Lord, and we're more dependent upon him. Therefore, we are more strengthened by him. And then Peter spoke of this as well in 1 Peter 4.12. It says, Beloved, do not think it a strange thing concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Notice verse 13. But rejoice to the extent that you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. For, you are, for if, you are, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. 
For the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. On their part, he is blaspheme, but on your part, he is glorified. So listen, when there's a persecution upon your life because the Lord's working in your life, there's strength that comes from that. We are blessed in that. God's being glorified in that. And then Jesus even talks about rejoicing in that day because he says, great is your reward in heaven in that. So let's keep that in mind in this day that we are living in. Keep it before us. Verse 12, it says, the next day a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So again, this really is the, 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 the kickoff of that Passion Week. It's like the Lord the night before is there in Bethany. It's a few miles from Jerusalem. The next day he comes. And again, many that were at the feast, in fact, this is a great multitude, which would indicate, again, uh, perhaps the, the, the bulk of the people there went out. They, they took palm branches. And one thing you got to know about palm branches in that time and that day they, they, they were symbolic. They were symbolic of, of something flourishing. They were symbolic of something tall and upright because, listen, the palm trees were abundant in that, in that region. They still are today. And they flourished in that region because of the climate there. They are very tall. They are very upright. In fact, uh, the, the Romans called Israel the land of the palms. It, it, was, it was one of their names. And so as they're saying king of Israel, and the Rome called them the land of the palms, and going out with these palm branches, and many of them were laid on the road, and no doubt, you know, you guys have seen the plays and so forth, right? They always come out with the palm branches, and, and you know, the guy playing Jesus walks through that. Listen, it was signifying that the king is here, and we're going to have victory. Because the palm branch, it, 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 it symbolized victory, the sad thing is the most of these people were thinking we're going to have victory over Rome, not we're going to have victory over sin. They were coming out thinking, again, the king is here, the Messiah is here. He's done all these signs and wonders. No doubt the next thing he's going to do is conquer Rome. The disciples had a mindset like that. That's why Peter cut off the high priest's ear the night the Lord was betrayed because they were wanting to get the war on. They had a wrong mentality. Listen, he would come absolutely to bring victory, but not victory over Rome, victory over something that is way worse, victory over sin, victory over death, victory over Satan. He came to atone for our sins that through faith in him, we wouldn't just have victory in this life, but we would have victory eternally with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting because this crowd would turn really quickly on the Lord Jesus Christ, except for a very, 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 very small remnant. Because it would just be a few days later, out of the pressure of the Jews, that this same crowd would cry out, crucify him. And even after Pilate said, listen, here's, here's Barabbas, a murderer, because it was their tradition to let one prisoner free every year. You know what? Uh, um, who do you want, Jesus or Barabbas? They said, give us Barabbas. What about this Jesus? Crucify him. And their profession was put to the test. 
as are against faith will be put to the test. And when it's put to the test, we absolutely want to be found a people that, that are rooted in the Lord, a people casting our cares upon him. Also, again, we see that they were crying out, Hosanna, and Hosanna means save us or help us. And indeed, any who call upon him, save me, Lord, help me in regards to I am a sinner, I need a savior, he absolutely will save whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. There's no partiality with them. They also said, blessed is he, uh, you know, who comes in the name of the Lord. And indeed, he is blessed and beautifully again. When we come to follow him, his blessings abound in general, but all the more he blesses us as we follow after him. I always laugh because I like to say, God bless you to people. And I always chuckle when people say, oh yeah, he does. And it's like, that's true, he does. But hear this, he even wants to bless you more. And so when people say that to me, oh, God bless you. I know he blesses me. I just say, I receive that blessing. (laughs) I'll take blessing upon blessing. And he's blessed and he blesses again those that call on his name. Those who truly say, help me, save me, Lord. He'll meet us where we're at. And then here they're crying, you know, king of Israel. But unfortunately, again, they were thinking the king that would conquer Rome. Eventually, they would reject him as king. And in the same Passion Week in Matthew 23, Jesus would go and weep over Jerusalem. And he would say, how I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And then in verse 38 of Matthew 23, he says, see, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as they reject him as king, their house became desolate. And at 70 AD, about 30 years later, 35 years later, they were scattered throughout the face of the earth. Now praise God in his faithfulness in these last days, he's brought Israel together. And Israel will go through a time of great trouble. But at the end of that great time, you know what they're going to do? They're going to look up and they're going to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're going to look on him whom he appears, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word of God tells us in the book of Romans that all Israel will be saved. What a glorious thing. For us this morning, listen, the question is, is he your king? Because you don't want to reject him. If you reject him, your house will be left desolate as well. But when you receive him, when you call out to him, when you yield to him, absolutely, he comes to abide in you and with you. And then you have the hope of not eternal desolation, but eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. A few other notes about this. Listen, the first time he came, he came lowly. He came in a very humble manner. The way he was born was very humble. There in Bethlehem, a fulfillment of prophecy in a manger. Boy, it can't be more humble than that. No room in the inn, so he's birthed in a cave that they normally use for livestock. We through, see throughout his life, he lived a very humble life. The Bible says he became poor so we could become rich. He says, birds of the air have nests, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then in this triumphal entry that we call it, how does he come? He comes humbly. He comes not on a big white stallion, but instead he comes not only on a donkey, but on the son of a donkey, on a colt, riding in on this little 
donkey because listen sons of kings would ride mules around and so he didn't come like that but he came again on a a donkey's colt it was a symbol of him coming in in humility he didn't come into that triumphal entry you know it saying yes this is my time to establish the kingdom here on earth but he came lowly and you see this throughout the lord's ministry you see it in the way he would die philippians chapter 2 talks about this he would humble himself to the point of death to the death of the cross but in all of it it goes on to say that the lord or god almighty glorified him in his resurrection that his name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that jesus is lord so listen this was a fulfillment of prophecy and hear this him coming in on donkey was a specific fulfillment of prophecy because in the book of Zechariah, again, an Old Testament book written several hundred years earlier, 9-9, it says, rejoice greatly, or it can be translated, fear not, because if there's no fear, there again is great rejoicing, great, greatly rejoice, or fear not, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, he is just having salvation, lowly, and riding on a donkey, a colt, a, a colt the fold of a donkey. And so in this, listen, we see the Lord's humility. We see him bearing our sin and then gloriously resurrecting from the grave for us. In this also, we see an example of how we're supposed to live. We're not to be, supposed to be cocky for Christ. We're supposed to walk with a cloak of humility. James 4.10, humble yourself on the side of the Lord and he will lift you up. The Lord walked in humility. He laid down his life for us. And what happened three days later? He was lifted up unto glory. He resurrected and defeated our enemies. And in your life as a follower of the Lord, listen, we are to walk with humility. And in that, the Lord will lift us up. Also in walking in that humility, listen, we can greatly rejoice and we need not fear. Why? Because yes, we are called to put on a cloak of humility, not living for the honor of men, but living for the Lord. And yet knowing I can have great confidence in God. And that balance is a wonderful thing to have. Where I want to humble my heart. I don't want it to be about me, but about him. But at the same time, I can have confidence in him because it is about him and he'll never leave me and he'll never forsake me now one other note on this and then we'll move forward listen his second coming is going to look way different than his first coming and his second coming and notice they said here uh your king is coming we can know our king is coming again and he's coming for us at his second coming in romans 19 it says that heaven's going to open and the lord is going to be beheld riding on a white horse and it says that he judges and makes war with the nations. That first time he came to die for the nations. He came to die for all and for whoever would call on him that they could be saved. And we're in the time right now where it's a valley of decision and people got to make up their minds if they're going to put their faith in Christ or not. But the day is going to come when all this is going to wind down and the Lord's going to come back and he's going to judge those nations and make war with them as they're gathered together to make war with him in the valley of Armageddon, where there's been more wars fought than any other place in the history of the world. The last war will be fought there, and this will fulfill prophecy. And beautifully, you know what? The Bible says we're going to come back with him riding on those horses as well. And listen, it's going to be a day of justice. It will be a day of victory. It's going to be a day that God 
is glorified. He's going to fulfill that prophecy just as he fulfilled this one spoken of in Zechariah. And listen, I believe we're getting very, very close to the coming of the Lord for his church and then his second coming. That we are, we are on, uh, on the cusp of these things. And we talked about this this Wednesday night, how you see the world really rejecting the ordinances of God. And those basic things put in at the beginning when it comes about one man and one woman and holy matrimony and be fruitful and multiply and these just basic things that he put before mankind and you see so much of mankind now rejecting those things. And then they're even beginning to see the consequences of those things and they still reject them for the most part. I saw a thing yesterday and I've heard a lot about this but saw kind of a detailed account of in China, in, in the 80s, they passed a law that you could only have one child. And so if you got pregnant a second time, you were required by the state to abort that child. Back then, they would allow them to go and have sonograms to see whether that child was a boy or a girl. And listen, especially in the countryside, they only wanted to have boys, because part of their culture is there's honor found when your, your genealogy is carried on, your name is carried on by your son, and the other side of it is they need men to work the farm. Well, listen, you start doing that for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, there's going to be an imbalance in culture eventually. This was all being done, again, saying we're going to kill babies to have a better future for our culture because they're saying there's too many of us and if there's more of us there's going to be a problem the thing is though when we do things our own way and abandon the ordinances of god it never works out well it's always to our detriment and so as they begin to again walk in that all the more it hardened hearts to god to life and so forth listen a, a culture that a practice is abortion like that you're going to have a culture that 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 is going to that's going to have a very hardened heart to embrace that. Now, again, the Lord forgives those things. The Lord wants to restore. Call on the name of the Lord. He will meet you where you're at. But now they're in a place where there's all these men running around that can't find wives, especially in the, the, the countryside. And so they did that. They withheld again, and they would deliberately abort the females when they saw that they would be impregnated with a female. But now those same kids that, you know, they, they you know, said, we want to keep this one, but not these others, they don't have any wives. And the thing they feared is actually coming upon them. And now there's an epidemic of human trafficking there, of people go stealing other men's wives and taking them for themselves. And there's just this a total implosion going on over there. And it starts with what? Rejecting the ordinances of God. And have you noticed, you start looking around our culture, there's implosions all over the place. There's implosions in our country. And there's things right now, if we continue to embrace them, listen, the judgment is going to be so, so sad. And a lot of it is already beginning to unfold. Listen, the Lord is coming soon. We need to be praying for those around us, and we need to be looking up, knowing that our redemption draws near. Now, verse 16, it says, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things were written about him, and that, and, and that they had done these things to him. So when this was all unfolding, they didn't get it. 
Listen, it was prophetic. It was written in the word. The Lord was even telling them, but they weren't putting two and two together. There's a lot of prophecy again unfolding today. There's confirmed, fulfilled prophecy today that's gone on in Israel, that's going on around us. But listen, in the midst of it, we don't always fully get it. And so be careful when it comes to end times prophecy to pull out your chart and say it will happen A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I mean, there's some people, every single detail, they know it's going to unfold like this. There's going to be some things that unfold according to the scripture that are going to look a little bit different than the way you think they're going to happen. You need to know that. And I think in knowing that, hopefully it will keep us from dividing over those little details and instead letting us be unified in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that this morning? Because listen, it's going to unfold according to scripture exactly the way God wants it to, no matter how I think about it. The Lord's going to come back when he comes back, whether it's pre-trib or mid-trib or pre-wrath or post-trib, no matter how I think about it. Now, I lean towards pre-trib because of things I see, but Listen, he's going to come when he's good and ready. I'm just told to be ready every single day. And when we get to glory, we're going to look back and we're going to go, I think, on a lot of things. Oh, okay, now I get that. The beautiful thing, though, is even when we don't have it all fully maybe figured out or know exactly how it will come about, we can rest in him because, listen, he's got all the details nailed down. And it's going to unfold in a glorious way, in a better way than even our minds can put it together. Also notice about this, they remember that these things were written about him later on. Well, if they've been reading more about him before they happen, there'd be a lot more prophetic insight at that time. And so we want to be found in the word daily because when we're in the word daily, listen, the Lord is all the more glorified in our life and there's going to be a whole lot more prophetic insight because it says again, when he was glorified, then they understood what was written. Listen, glorify the Lord in your life, get in his word daily, and you're going to have a lot more understanding about a whole lot of things. Verse 17, therefore, the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. So again, these people bore witness to the works of Christ. And as a result of that, many others came to meet with the Lord. We're called to bear witness of Christ and the way we live and absolutely in sharing the gospel. And if we're not bearing witness, then how can people come to him? Romans says, unless, you know what, there's a preacher, how can men respond? So listen, step back in your life and ask, where am I bearing witness? Am I bearing witness? We're called to bear witness of the Lord for those. Someone bore witness of him to you when you didn't know him. And so we want to be about that business of bearing witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, we need not fear in it. Even in the midst of threats and so forth, not a hair on your head will be lost in bearing witness of the Lord. Verse 19, the Pharisees therefore said amongst themselves, you see, you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And we talked about this a few times in our study in John. The Pharisees would always talk amongst themselves, but never one time did we see. Then the Pharisees huddled up and had a prayer meeting. We still never read. Then the Pharisees came together and said, well, let's open up the Bible and see what's going on here. They always just talked amongst themselves. 
And listen, there can be a place for, again, Christian fellowship, but hopefully as we're talking amongst ourselves, we're talking to the Lord and we're looking to the Lord. They didn't do that. They just talked amongst themselves. And if you start talking amongst yourselves and push the Lord out, you're, you're just going to go in circles there. Notice as well here, they don't step back and say, look, the world's gone after them. Let's give up. But instead, they say, the world's gone after them. It's time to double down. They turn up the heat. And you need to know, again, the enemy, he's not going to fade until we go to glory And when he starts getting, again, on the losing side more in those daily battles, he just gets fired up all the more. But praise God, guess what? All the more the Lord will protect the hairs on your head, and the Lord will go before you. And so let's move forward in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 20, it says, Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, again, there were a lot of Gentile worshipers. In the book of Acts, it talks about Cornelius, a a, a Roman soldier who was not a proselyte. He was not a a, a Jew in the sense of embracing Judaism, but he worshiped the Lord. And that's where these Gentile worshipers were. And they came to worship God, and yet they came recognizing that Jesus was the Messiah, And this was another fulfillment of prophecy. This happening in another place, there was a Gentile woman that came to the Lord right before he went to the cross. And and she said, Lord, heal my child. And the Lord said, well, I, I came first for the house of Israel. And remember, she came back and she said, well, yes, but even the little dogs get the crumbs that fall from the table. And the Lord marveled at her faith. And listen, that was prophecy being fulfilled. And then these Gentiles coming, it was prophecy being fulfilled. Because as Israel was getting ready to reject him, for the most part outside of a remnant, the Gentiles were getting ready to embrace him. Isaiah 63 says, the Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And so again, the Lord came first for Israel, and secondly for the Gentiles. Israel was rejecting him, but the Gentiles were being drawn in. They were seeing that light, and they were coming. And they didn't come and say, hey, we want to see Jesus and Lazarus. They said, sir, we wish to see Jesus. That's who we need to see. They came to worship. They came to look to him. They came in wisdom. Listen, they found a Galilean, knowing that he was Jesus of Galilee, Jesus, you know, of Nazareth, Jesus who lived up there. God was giving them wisdom. God was directing them as they had a hunger for the Lord. And these people that step back and boo-hoo God and they look at the course of history and they're like, well, they never got the gospel here. Listen, the Lord makes himself known to all men. He made himself known to these Greeks and guess what? They began to hunger for him and the Lord directed them to people who directed them to Jesus Christ. And that's going on in the world today. Talked about it many times. The biggest revival in the world today is the Middle East. How many missionaries do you know in the Middle East right now? In Syria and in Iraq, Iran. More in Iraq, but in Iran and Syria, there's next to none. And yet the greatest revivals in the world are happening there. Because again, the Lord is, is appearing to these people in dreams and visions. And then he's telling them where to go to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So these people that step back and start judging God because, you know what, the gospel wasn't there, you don't know what you're talking about. God loves those people more than you ever could, and he cares about them. And in the course of time, you see it in the word in other places, when people begin to respond to that call of the Spirit, he sends people. Go read the book of Acts, how many times they're sent somewhere specifically, and someone's crying out, help us over here. He's faithful to that. And then on the flip side of that, guess what? There have been whole nations and movements of people who have collectively and completely rejected Jesus Christ, who said, we don't want you, God. We want our own thing, and God has honored that. So keep that in mind because, listen, these people pop up all over the place and it irritates the heck out of me because I'm saying, how dare you judge God? And I also say, if you're so concerned about that, why are you sitting here on your hands complaining? Then get out to those places and take the gospel to them. Other than that, I don't want to hear it because my God cares about all these souls and he cared about these Greeks and he had gone out to them again and now they are responding to him saying, we want to see Jesus. And again, I hope that would be the cry of our hearts in this fellowship. We want to see Jesus. That whoever's in this pulpit, the heart would be, I don't want to see a personality. I don't want to see this. I want to see Jesus. Now the Lord works through personalities and things, but we want to see Jesus. And we got to recognize we are called to preach Jesus. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 4, 5, we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord. The world needs to see Jesus, not Refuge Church. The Lord needs to see Jesus Christ, not Steve Shively. The Lord needs to see Jesus, not you, you or you. They need to see him. So we need to show them Jesus. Verse 22. I get a little passionate about that there. It says, Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. I think Philip probably had a little fear of the Jews. But as they got together, listen, they were able, no doubt, to encourage each other. And they said, listen, you know what, who cares if the Jews find out, let's go to Jesus. And they encourage one another in the Lord. We need to do that as well. 23, but Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the son of man should be glorified. And he's talking here about the work of the cross, his death and his resurrection. He was about to fulfill what he was called to do, to die for our sins and resurrect from the grave, to be lifted up, to draw all men unto himself. And we're going to talk a whole lot more about that in the weeks to come. Verse 24, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And again, this was being said at this time when these Gentiles were coming, because again, this was fulfillment of prophecy. When the Gentiles start pouring in, it means that the Lord's about to be glorified. The Lord had just, think about it, the Lord had just stayed in one region and yet it impacted the world. And as they began to respond, it was part of prophetic fulfillment that now it's time for him to be glorified. And he says to them, listen, a grain, a a, a bit of grain or a a piece of wheat on itself, it's on itself. But if it dies and it goes into the ground, what's going to happen? It's going to produce a crop. More grain is going to come out of that. And here he's talking about, again, his hour of glory, that he was going to go and die. The bread of life was going to go and die in the grave. Why? So that in his resurrection, all that have faith in him as well would be resurrected. And again, there would be life that would come through his death and then through his 
resurrection. I don't have the time to get deeply into it this morning, but listen, this was also another fulfillment of prophecy in the book of Leviticus, it goes through all the various sacrifices they would bring to the temple. And in chapter 2, it talks about the grain sacrifice. And it talks about a sacrifice of grain, a meal offering. And it says that it was, it was supposed to be fine flour that would be brought, an offering of thanksgiving. And the thing about fine flour is it's a flour that has to be sifted and refined over and over and over. In fact, it had to be grounded, uh, grounded up and sifted by Jewish custom, at least 13 times to be fine flour. And that's a picture of our Lord. Because listen, when he went to the cross, he was grounded down and he was sifted. He was sifted again by the temptations of the enemy, the testings of the Pharisees, and the work of the cross being scourged and beaten by men and the wrath of the Father put upon him. He was sifted. But praise God, listen, as he laid his down, down his life with even a thanksgiving, he was raised again on the third day and defeated that death that now again through him we have the future and a hope of resurrection in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our grain offering and it's glorious. We taught in that chapter not long ago. It's online. We probably can make it here. Uh, Leviticus chapter 2. And uh, it's, it wonderfully corresponds with that verse. Now we're almost done here. Verse 25 Jesus said, he who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, my father will honor him. And so the Lord says, listen, if you love this life, or if this life is your Lord, you serve the God of your belly. You're just living for the temporary things. That's your pursuit. That's your God. Then you're going to lose your life. But whoever hates his life, and again, this isn't talking about, I hate myself. This is talking about saying, I love the Lord more than the things of this world. I serve the Lord so that I can properly manage the things of this world. Then you're going to keep it forever you're going to have eternal life. Later on, John wrote some epistles. And in 1 John 2, 15, as the Spirit of God moved upon him, he said, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, notice here, and this is where we get insight to loving our life and loving the world. This is what it is. It says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So if your Lord is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the Bible says that, again, it's going to pass away. It's going to pass away to the second death in a place called hell. But if he's your Lord and Savior... If you called on his name, then absolutely you're going to abide forever with eternal life. I think a good example of this is Lot, his two daughters, and his wife. They're being pulled out of that city as judgment is coming upon it. And remember, they're going out, and the angel says, don't look back. And at some point, what does Lot's wife do? She looks back. And she said, I want these things. I don't want what God wants for us over here. I don't care about that. I want these things. 
And it says in an instant, she was turned into a pillar of salt. What was going on inside of her was manifest outside and judgment, it was judgment day and it came upon her. She could have been saved that day. If she just said, listen, I'm I'm not gonna live for the lust that's in that place, the pride in that place, the desires in that place. Lord, I, I, I wanna be saved. And listen, even pulled out, no doubt, going on in their minds was uh, you know, at a struggle. And hearing those voices calling, and as followers of the Lord, there's going to be struggles at times. But as Lot and his two daughters, and they would have issues in the days to come, no doubt about it. We still have issues as believers, right? But they got saved from that place because, again, they said, we want what the Lord has for us, even in the midst of that temptation to look back. And when he's our Lord, listen, Not a hair of our head will be lost. We're in his hands, and we can rest in assurance of that. But if we want to be our own Lord, there's going to be consequences in that. Finally, he says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. In Luke's gospel, he says it like this, Luke 9, 23. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And so this is something the Lord taught over and over and over again. If you lay down your life for my sake, again, you're going to gain it. And if I'm your Lord, then follow me. And beautifully, listen, as we follow him, he's there. And so let me ask you, is Jesus where you go? Because if you're following him, he's, he's, he's going to be there. And, and it's not that he's not with us when we're not following him. But when we follow after him, he's there in power. He's there, again, pouring out upon us. And then lastly, the Lord says, if anyone serves me, him, my father, will honor. And listen, that's a pretty good motivation. As we serve him, we get honor from God And in the life of the believer, that produces eternal crowns and eternal rewards. But if we instead, listen, want to serve ourselves and live to get honor from men, that honor is going to perish one day. We want to be found living for him, honoring him. And all those things that we're about, we can either honor God in those things or we can make it about us and striving to get honor from men. And listen, that, that is a vain pursuit. Because even those people at times, you're thinking, oh, they're going to honor me now. You know what's really going on in their heart? They're either saying, well, I'm better than you, or they're envious of you. That's usually what happens. That's usually what goes on. But it's hard for that to be the case more so when you walk into humility in it. And, and you're pointing people to the Lord. And hopefully, again, when they think of you, they, they would think about him. And so God, help us to live for your honor and not for the honor of men and for us to honor ourselves. Can we say amen to that as we close here? Let's stand up and, and we'll pray here and finish up. Lord, we praise you and we give you glory, Lord. And oh, Lord, a lot of truths here for us, God. Lord, let us take these things and really consider them. Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. We thank you, Lord, for the example you set for us and Lord, we thank you for the work of the cross, for without that, your example really wouldn't mean much. Lord, we thank you that you rose from the grave and that through you and faith in you, God, we do have absolutely the guarantee of eternal life. Help us, God, in the trials and tribulations and these temptations that will come our way 
God, to continue to look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith, God. And Lord God, you know the hearts of all here today. And if there's any here today, God, that haven't called on you, we know that today's a day of salvation. Lord, we know that today you welcome all to come to you. Lord, whether they are a Jew or a Greek, a male or a female, whoever it would be. The Bible says whoever would call on the name of the Lord would be saved. And calling on the name of the Lord means I'm asking you, Jesus, to be the Lord of my life. It means that I'm turning from being my own Lord. I'm turning from this mentality that says, I'm just going to do what's right in my own eyes to say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to be my Savior. And now, Lord, I want you to govern my life. I want you to be my Lord. I, I, I want to, again, be a disciple of Jesus. And listen, when we call on him, when we come to him broken and say, Lord, save me, again, we are saved by him by grace through faith in him. And today, if that's you and you're saying, Steve, I want that, I want to call on his name, I believe, I want to lead you in a prayer that is in line with the faith that is just being birthed in your heart right now. Again, we're, we're, we're not saved through our prayer, we're saved through the work of the cross, but absolutely, we want to be in that place of saying, yes, Lord, I need you. I want to call on you. So if that's you this morning, I want to invite you to pray with me. And if you know the Lord, I want to invite you to pray with any this morning that would be calling out to him. Let's pray together. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. Lord, I ask you this morning to wash me of my sins, to be my Lord, my God, my King. I believe you died for me. And you rose from the grave to give me eternal life. Give me that, Lord. By your mercy and in your goodness, I thank you, Lord. Lord, just bless any and all that have prayed that prayer. God, meet them where they are. And Lord, let us finish well right now, lifting our voices to you. Lord, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God, absolutely. God, knowing God. Let us have those palm branches in our hearts, so to speak, because there is victory found in Jesus Christ. Let's worship him as we close.
Well, God bless you. Pray you have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus Christ.